Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being here for yet another episode. Uh, This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby, and I really appreciate all of you who listen to Beyond the Pink Cloud. It's so much fun to do this podcast. While I wish I could do it full-time and bring you more episodes, it it is but one of the many projects that I do. So I'm really trying to stick to a goal of an episode every two weeks for now. For a while, we were doing once a week, and I'm finding that difficult to keep up with. So for now, for the immediate future, and I think through the summer, We'll try to have one for you every other week so that there's some consistency to the episodes coming out on Friday mornings. This is such an awesome episode. I learned so much in talking with Sarah Ramsey, and you'll hear all about her. Sarah has her own podcast that I was on, which is how we how we met called the Toxic Person Proof Podcast. She's written a book, and I really learned a lot from her in this interview about, you know, what, what are toxic people, how can we alter the way that we we think about our relationships with them. Because I was kind of operating under, I think, a bit of a misconception that a lot of times, you know, we could change our boundaries and maybe stand up for ourselves and, and that would help with the relationship. And sometimes that's just not the case. And it was really wonderful to hear Sarah talk about it. And she has a lot of great analogies that make things very clear. So I think you'll love this episode. And, and it's fun and it's light, even though we're talking about a pretty serious topic. Um, Sarah is by nature a cheerful person as I think I am. So luckily there is some levity to, to the topic and we do have a few laughs. For all of my San Diego friends and sober women and, um, and women in general, if you're wanting to gather in person and to have some connection, please come and check out the event that is happening on July 10th. It's going to be here in San Diego. It's a two-hour workshop on uh, Saturday, July 10th from 10 to noon. It's outdoors in San Diego, and it's going to be wonderful. We're going to work with some somatic practices, some movement, do a little bit of um, Japanese nature bathing, which is really different than just walking through the forest. So there's going to be work with mindfulness and connecting to our bodies, slowing down our systems coming into a baseline state that feels good for us, that feels easy. And then we'll, we'll also do a, a gratitude practice, bringing gratitude to ourselves in our human incarnation and as well as to the planet. So I'm really excited about this workshop. It's one of the, the, the beta testing workshops I'm doing for the somatic girl or <laughs> the somatic girls for the Sober Girls Hiking and Adventure Club. So this workshop is priced at only $25, which is a really good price. (laughs) So come on out. Enjoy. Take advantage of the beta testing. There's going to be some different workshops, not another one like this, but there'll be some, some variations over the next few months. And if you, um, if you still aren't a member of the Sober Girls Hiking and Adventure Club, please come and join. While we're beta testing live stuff in Southern California right now, the community is across North America. Hopefully it'll be worldwide. Anyone's welcome to come in and join the Facebook group. And we talk about hiking and we also talk about the nervous system and ways to use nature as a resource for healing, as well as other ways we can continue to, to work on our own internal healing. And of course, Um, you know, I talk about how to do that somatically and ways we can work with the nervous system. So I will post the links to both of those in the show notes. Um, but definitely the workshop is coming up upon us. It's July 1st 
and it'll be July 2nd when this comes out. So yeah, come be in person with us. I'd love to meet all of you and walk you through some of these these tools and just share the space. Without further ado, have a safe and happy sober, if you're a sober person, uh, 4th of July. Lay low, um, take good care of yourselves. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please like and subscribe. You could leave a review, a positive review, if that uh, tickles your fancy. I would certainly love to read it and maybe tell a friend about the show. That really does help us to grow and to continue having all of these amazing guest experts come on and share their wisdom with us. So hopefully I'll see you at the workshop if you are here in Southern California, or I'll see you in the Sober Girls Hiking and Adventure Club online and have a wonderful, wonderful day. And please enjoy this episode with Sarah. She is awesome. Hi, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. With me today, I'm delighted to have Miss Sarah K. Ramsey as my guest. And Sarah is a toxin relationship specialist and the world's leading expert on how to become toxic person proof. She is the best selling author of the book, Becoming Toxic Person Proof, and she is host of a globally acclaimed podcast. She works with women who have experienced toxic relationships and who remain stuck in a cycle of pain and confusion to transform their minds and lives by taking back their power and recreating a life that they're excited about living, bringing renewed energy, clarity, and excellence into establishing careers and relationships they love. And her work has been featured in the Emotional Abuse Recovery and Resilience Summit, Healing Narcissistic Trauma Conference, Thrive Global, the Elephant Journal, and the Courageous Woman Summit. Thank you so much for being here with me, Sarah. I'm so excited to meet again. I had uh, you on my podcast, obviously, which is how we met and have connected several times since then. So excited to reconnect. Yeah, likewise. It's so fun how things like that happen where you sort of meet people and have them in your networking sphere. And I think you commented on a post last week and I was like, yes, Sarah, I want her to come on the show. I'm so glad she said something to remind me. Oh, I think I said, congratulations. You had an article posted, right? Oh the- yeah. I got published recently and paid to write, which is, I'm still kind of new to freelance writing. So that's really wonderful um, to have those things happen. Yeah. It's exciting. So, thanks. so maybe could you start with just telling us a little bit about, I guess your own story or history or what led you into doing this work. And it's such meaningful work. That's I think so many of us really relate to on one level or another. So I'd love to hear what, what brought you into it and led you to such uh, a, a global level of expertise. So it's funny slash not funny that as soon as I tell people what I do, people are like, oh yeah, we really need that. Like no one ever says, why would you do that? Or I bet mm-hmm. you have no business or, you know, any that type of thing. Everyone instantly recognizes that it's needed work. Okay. And important work because something that is a little bit different about my work is I don't really teach people how to power over others. I teach you how to be kind without having that kindness used against you. And so really coming, becoming toxic person proof, kind of like bulletproof, but toxic person proof within your integrity, within kindness, within love, within peace, within harmony, not within defiance or like, you know, bitch, please. I don't let people talk to me that way. You know, I mean, that's just kind of a different (laughs) than I give off or want to give off. And so you have people who are almost teaching about toxic relationships 
in teaching people how to be defiant, right? And so it's like protective and defiance, but that feels very much like a protective energy based in fear rather than in integrity in knowing who you are and feeling solid about who you are and feeling confident in your ability to trust yourself and trust who you surround yourself with, which is my goal. Yeah. And it's a really, it's a great distinction too. Cause I think even looking at it through the lens um, that I do with somatic experiencing, it's almost like that, that rebelliousness is just a different kind of a trauma response or a different kind of, yeah. like you said, of a protective mechanism instead of like really filling up and who we are as humans. And so that almost the, the things that come at us are bounce back because we, we have this, you know, inner grace and inner strength that is just us. So I love, I love the way you just described that. Well, thank you. And my company's name is Bounce Back Coaching. So that's funny that you said that. It's perfect. <laughs> yes. And that's exactly what it is because I, I hear people sometime and they say, oh, I'm toxic person proof. I don't, you know, I don't trust anyone. I don't let anyone mess with me. I don't. And it's just like, wow, that's a very lonely life you're describing, yeah. right? You're not describing a healthy relationship with yourself and others. You are living a life based in mistrust. Right. And which is not what I want for the world's most amazing women. And I've found so many of the world's most amazing women and people have been in toxic situations. They're empathetic. They are kind. They try to do the right thing. They are conscientious and they just think everyone thinks like them. So as long as they're good to other people, these people will be good back, which is absolutely my story, uh, which is I know you asked me good that segue. question. Yeah. Tied it right right back up. Yes, that was absolutely my story. I was a pastor's daughter. And so basically within the culture I was raised in, everybody within that church setting was good. And all the bad people were outside of that church setting. Right. So it was a very immature distinction of like, you know, oh, okay. I'm never around bad people. All the bad people are strangers. All the people I know are good, which obviously blew up in my face in a thousand different ways. And just this real, I was quite passionate about people pleasing and thinking that was being, if I was a good girl and I was kind and I was selfless, then God slash universe would take care of me. And I wouldn't have to learn how to take care of myself. And it was immature and naive. And I have found many, many, many others who felt that exact same way. Maybe we didn't vocalize it at the time, but it was kind of like, well, I just, I just need to do the right thing and it will all work out. And while I still think about doing the right thing, the right thing can look different now. It doesn't always look like people pleasing. Sometimes it looks like discernment, wisdom, seeing people's actions for who they are, listening to my intuition, keeping myself safe. So I still definitely work to do the right thing and live in integrity, but the right thing is much more nuanced, much more mature. Yeah. And it sounds like it's again, coming from that place of like who you are as a person who's filled up in yourself versus, oh, the right thing is like me being nice and sweet to everyone, even if you know, they're kind of being a a weird passive aggressive, you know, dickhead Uh to me, but I Uh know that I'm nice. So I'm just going to continue to act nice. And what you're describing differently is that, no, I'm going to really be able to listen to myself and, or what I hear you describing. I don't mean to paraphrase. I've had people do that to me on podcasts. And this one guy paraphrased everything I said, absolutely wrong. And it was the most frustrating interview I've ever been a part of (laughs) completely, completely like not related to anything, but yeah, please correct me if I, if I mistakenly do that, but 
just what I'm hearing you saying is again, you're coming from that place of inner integrity. So the right thing is, is vastly different than just, Oh, I'm a good girl. And I'm, you know, I'm doing good and I'm being good and I'm being nice. And, and that's right. Which I think a lot of women struggle with. And that's why you are hearing it come across that way is because I always look for shorter bridges to cross. And so I had to learn how to adapt my personality and what I already wanted to lead with, which is being a good girl. I still mm. want to be a good girl, right? So, but I had to reframe what being a good girl meant, okay? And so, but I still go to sleep at night thinking, oh, I was a good person today, which is important to me, yeah. right? Important to you. And, but now I think, gosh, my job here on earth is not to help everyone else become more selfish, entitled, angry, emotionally vomiting, victimy, uh, responsibility avoidant versions of themselves, which is what I was doing before. Oh, I'm good at putting up with bad behavior. Oh, I'm good at taking care of crazy. Oh, I'm good at dealing with anger. Oh, they didn't mean it. You know, they just had a hard day. Sometimes they talk to me that way because they had a hard day. I can take it. And I used to think that was the role I was put on earth to play, which is a terrible, terrible thing that many people are subconsciously doing. And you'll hear them say it like, oh, well, you know, they don't, they, you know, they don't really mean it. They just say that. And it's like, okay, when you really think, you know, what I'm telling people through my actions is that my role in this world is to put up with their emotional vomiting or anger or dysfunction or whatever. And that's, that's what I'm, my job is to do here on earth. Like that, when you start to kind of reframe it that way, it sounds like, well, no, that shouldn't be my job here on earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like maybe it's a really terrible idea, but we just don't think about it in those terms. We think we're being good, being nice, you know, being loving, being a good Christian, being a good whatever in people's different contexts and yeah. being a good daughter, being a good wife, yeah. being a good mother, you know, all those things, all those roles we play in those labels. And eventually I, I had to say, it is not within my integrity to help spread darkness into the world. And when someone is emotionally vomiting or vict or blaming or they're lying or their actions aren't lining up with their words or they have terrible dysfunction that they're trying they're destroying other people's lives around them and I support them in that endeavor then I you know that's not who I want to be I don't want to be a supporter of darkness yeah it's a great just I mean again a great distinction and really clear the way that you reframe that thank yeah. you I I've had to do a lot of mental gymnastics to retrain myself because I was so in that path of people pleasing and, oh, you know, I have to do this. It's the right thing. God will be mad at me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Just All these trips we put on ourselves. And I wonder yeah. too, if part of that, when you were talking, I feel like there's this other part of it. That's like almost a badge of honor of like, well, I'm so strong. I can, I can deal with all this. Like I can put up with it. And it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, do you want to, is that really how you want to live by taking all of your energy and, and to like building up these walls and, you know, for some people, maybe it's much harder to get out of relationships. So yeah, I think it's, uh, it's always a balance of grace and yeah. Yeah. It, it is, you know, and it is timing and no one can make that decision for you. 
and trying to really get people to see what's actually going on in their heads rather than there's just a fabulous distinction that you just had. I actually have an article that says, if you're strong enough to take it, you're brave enough to change it. Yeah. I love that. That's right? great. We'll have to link that article too. Yeah. Cause it's exactly what you just said. You were picking up. There was yeah. that bad of like, Oh, well, they need me. Well, they need me to take their anger. They need me to hide what's really happening. They need me to cover up their Jekyll and Hyde story. They need me to manage their image. I, I can't call myself a good person and that be what I'm promoting or a good faith-based person, a good daughter, a good whatever it is, whatever label you have in your head. If it's not a good person, maybe it's a good sister, right? Whatever that is, we really have to talk ourselves out of that line of thinking. And I'm, I'm curious too, like, what if I have quite a few questions and maybe I'll do a two-parter. Um, wondering if you could even just put a, a loose definition or maybe a really, maybe you have a very tight definition around what is a toxic person. And then my second half of the question is what if our relationship isn't with, you know, a partnership or something where we can leave? What if it's more like a, a family dynamic or even a, a boss or a coworker or these dynamics where you know, we can always walk away from family, but a lot of times we're just a little bit more stuck with them. Not, not saying we have to take the, the toxic behavior, but they're people we will most likely interact with throughout the course of our lives. I'm curious about defining boundaries and kind of, you know, toxic person proofing yourself against those relationships as well. Yeah. I love that. And I'll answer it in that order. Great. So the distinctions I have within toxic relationships, we all talk about that phrase where you can't see the the tree, what is it? You can't see the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. Okay. Say you have a toxic person encounter at work. You know what? And you go to your coworker this one day, this one coworker did this one thing. That's a tree. And when you take a step back or you kind of take a 30,000 foot view, you notice, wow, that coworker always dumps their work on me. That coworker always uses me as an excuse for why they didn't finish their work. That coworker is always blaming me. That coworker is always managing their image and not doing the right thing. And you start to see tree, 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 tree. And you start to see this forest. Okay. Because in any toxic person encounter, it is a pattern. Mm. You have had bad days. I have had bad days. You're, you're married, right? No, my partner and I were like domestic partners. Wait, your partner? Pretty much. <laughs> sure, yeah, doesn't matter. Your partner's had a bad day. Your mother has had a bad day. My father has had a bad day. My sister's had a bad day. My husband has had a bad day. We all have bad days, okay? That's a tree. There are some people who have a forest of bad behavior. Mm. And I, I joke in my book, I say there's a difference between a dog who bites you once and a dog who bites you daily. Okay. But we don't, our brains don't do that. They take this one instance, this one fight you have with a partner, this one comment your mother made, and we just kind of like zero in on this one thing and we miss the pattern. And the toxic people are defined typically in two ways, image management, and basically what I call the flip, which is like, I'm wonderful. You're the problem. Mm -hmm. I'm wonderful. You're the problem. And that could look like a hero of 
typically you think of a toxic mother, right? So like, oh, you just need to do this. You just need to do this. You need to wear your hair this way. You need to have this job. You need to not eat that sandwich. You need to whatever a toxic mother might do. That would be a toxic mother hero, okay? I am the expert in your life. Listen to me and all will be well and we'll both be happy, okay? You could have a toxic boss that way, toxic husband that way, toxic friends that way, but I get to be the expert in your life. Mm -hmm. I know you better than you know yourself. Pattern, 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 pattern. Okay. When you're around someone like that, you feel really crappy. You feel confused. You're like, but I thought I had a call right before this. And she was like, I said purple was my favorite color, but he always told me blue is my favorite color. And it's these little things, these little patterns. If, if you just had a list of red flags and it was like, oh, think you're, you know, gets the wrong favorite color. That would be a ridiculous list on a red flag list, right? We couldn't possibly decide if that was a toxic relationship based on that one tree. Okay. But it's a pattern of, I know you better than you know yourself. It's a pattern of you not learning to trust yourself, trusting them instead of yourself, a pattern of confusion, a pattern of, but I, but I, I think I like purple. Maybe, maybe I do like blue. I don't know. Like you're the expert in my life, not me. And you see that really unhealthy dynamic. It can also look very victim-y, mm-hmm. right? Poor me. You know, if you don't save me, who will? If you don't take care of me, who will? If you don't put up with me, who will? So it, and they can flip back and forth, right? I'm wonderful. You're amazing. You can never live without me. Oh, poor me. You better save me. That's very confusing when someone's pulling this flip back and forth of you're terrible. I need you. You're terrible. I need you. It sounds <laughs> exhausting. Just listening to you describe it. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel my heart racing a little bit. I'm like, oh, I want to get away from this. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> It is. And some people are going, oh my gosh, that sounds exactly like. Yeah. X, Y, Z. And I can see it in like different patterns and kind of my extended family and past relationships. I mean, I think we all can relate sure. to that on some level of like, oh, mm-hmm. I have had a, a coworker who was like that or a family member who was like that. And I engaged in this yeah. dynamic because maybe, you know, I was confused and didn't really know what was happening. Mm-hmm. And a very distinct soundbite is someone who makes you do all the work of the relationship. You described it as exhausting, but yeah, if you're having to do all the emotional, physical, financial, what mental work of the relationship, then, and the more consistent the pattern of you having to do all the work, the more toxic the relationship. So how do we start putting boundaries up kind of back to the second half of that question with these coworkers or, or family members? And I'm, I'm making a distinction between that and then more of like the romantic relationship. Cause I do feel like that's a separate kind of dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a couple of things, a personality disorder, if you're talking about the extreme version of toxic, which experts say one out of every 10 people have a personality disorder one out of every 10. That means we all deal with this, right? It can't be what I grew up thinking. Oh, stranger danger. I, everyone I know is safe, right? That, that was, you know, we need to do a better job of teaching our kids to be afraid of sociopaths rather than strangers, but we don't. It's stranger danger, 
the sociopath next door, not a problem. They seem fine. You know, <laughs> they're so charming. It's great. Sociopath uh, next door. <laughs> but the, you know, when you really think about that um, distinction, we just assume there's not that many or assume that it's not that big of a deal. Sandra L. Brown, who runs the Relationship Institute for Harm, uh, Institute for Relational Harm, that's it, says it's one in five. Hmm. Okay. So it's somewhere between one in 10 and one in five, according to experts. That's high. It's very high. Right. That's high. So, but obviously within that, there's a spectrum of, you know, I'm going to actually come and kill you versus I'm going to destroy you and you're not going to know what happened versus I'm just going to make you feel bad about yourself versus I'm pretty darn selfish. Yeah. So that is an important distinction because to say, how do I set boundaries with certain people? It's important to know where you are on that spectrum because sometimes setting boundaries can put you in a dangerous situation. It's mm, a great point. It's better to fly under the radar. You could have a toxic boss who says, if you stand up to me and point out what I'm doing, I will destroy the rest of your career. And at that point, do you that just walk, walk away? I mean, well, so within the conversation about boundaries, I think about the three little pigs, okay? And so within the three little pigs, we kind of blame those two little pigs, right? It's like you built a house out of sticks. You built a house out of straw, you little pigs with your flimsy boundaries. And then we herald the pig who built the brick house, okay? So he had brick boundaries versus straw or stick boundaries, okay? So obviously the house was great because it protected the pig, it did not change the big bad wolf. And that's a big piece that I'm talking about in boundaries. And the more people study boundaries, people who really, really study boundaries, as soon as I say it, they go, oh, damn. Like, <laughs> you know, and it's really like, because I think sometimes we think, well, boundaries is the answer. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, what problem are you trying to solve? Are you trying to protect yourself? Let's develop a strategy for that. Are you trying to use standing up for yourself to get them to change their behavior? That can be a very dangerous game. Yeah, and ineffective. And very ineffective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which leads back to exhaustion and frustration. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. it is. I mean, it's a you know me, like everything I do, it's like live and funny and my book is funny and all this, you know, I try to be fun, but what I'm saying is terrible things. Yeah. I just, you know, have a bubbly personality. So I think it's like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But what I'm saying is, Hey, you changing, you have, you being so strong, so good at boundaries, such a good communicator, so sexy, so such a good daughter, so loyal, so that their brain structure and personality changes. Good luck, Chuck. It's not yeah. going to happen. It's not going to happen. That is who they are. And Alice, it really goes back to something as simple as taking turns. Okay. So when we were three and four and five, we were in social situations where people told us to take turns. Okay. There are 45 year olds who don't know how to take turns. They think it's always their turn, their needs, their wants, their desires, their cravings, their sleep, their whatever they want to do with their money is always more important than anyone else. They don't know how to take turns. And we think, oh my gosh, 
maybe I can find the right therapist that will force them to learn how to take turns. Sometimes your needs are important and sometimes my needs are important. And it's like in a relationship of any type, it should be a balance, right? If you would have a toxic sibling, sometimes the toxic sibling is the most important person in the room. Sometimes you are. Take turns, seesaw, coworker. Sometimes your idea is most important. Sometimes their idea is most important. Sometimes you may need an easy day at work. Sometimes they may need an easy day at work. It's taking turns. Toxic people don't know how to do that. They Mm. always think they're the most important person in the room. And then we think, oh, well, maybe if I say, stand up for myself and say things harder, their brain structure will change and they won't want to be so selfish. And it's, when you kind of say it, it is disheartening, but it does kind of like, oh, like, yeah, I can see why that's not working. Um, So boundaries are wonderful and important, but we want to get the goal and purpose of the boundaries correct, which is protecting pigs, not changing wolves. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And I like that you, you've said a few times, like if I change my behaviors, is that going to change their brain structure? I think that's a really fundamentally important way to look at it Uh because no, Uh we're not. Well, in Sandra L. Brown in an interview with her and I had, she said, this is the way their brains are made, which Alice, as you know, we are very early in brain research considering like human history and how, you know, science and brain science, we are very early in how much is nature, how much is nurture, how much is our brain structure formed and how much does that affect our personality? We are super early in these conversations. So 50 years from now, you and I would be having a quite a a different conversation, I'm sure. But she said, we cannot be so good that we change someone's autism. Mm Mm-hmm. Like that is how their brain is made. And yet we send people into couples therapy and tell women to go home and have sex with their husband more so we can, they can change his brain structure. Yeah. We go tell daughters to be more obedient to their parents. We tell sons to, you know, hold their temper maybe if yeah, I'm not making excuses for people blowing up on people, but you know, toxic women, you got a guy, he's trying to be nice, nice, nice. And finally he's just had enough. Right. And it's, it, it, we're telling people bad advice at this point. The, the past advice has been bad advice. So what do you, th- I mean, what are your suggestions? And I know this is, this is a big and a broad question because I know it's very mm-hmm. dependent, but like if we, if we recognize, okay, you know, my behavior isn't really going to change this other person's brain structure, their behavior, you know, at that point, like, then what do we do? If we, do we limit Mm -hmm. the time spent with them? Is it just, I mean, you touched on this before where it's like a different strategy. Is it, we fly low under the radar? Is it, you know, I don't know, we stagger our lunch breaks or things like that. Because I feel like that thing gets into a little bit of like, now we're trying to change our own behavior to avoid interaction with another person, which again, comes back to like, this does not feel easy. This feels really exhausting. There's, there's no such thing as fair in this conversation, right? And so just like what you're saying, so let's say you have a toxic family member, toxic uncle Joey. And every time you go to Christmas dinner with toxic uncle Joey, he belittles you, he makes fun of your work. He tells you, you know, no wonder you're divorced. No wonder you've dealt with sobriety. No wonder, whatever toxic Joey says, okay? And so (laughs) then you drive there and you think, oh, maybe toxic Joey will be better this year. He's been terrible for the last 10 years, but maybe this year will be better. That's one choice. 
right? Which is what most people do, right? Hope it won't be better. And then the whole time there, they're probably sick at their stomach. Then they're hoping toxic Joey changes his behavior, okay? So that's one strategy. And then you don't let Joey get to you, but it probably doesn't work. And it probably hasn't worked, right? Just be, you know. So one option would be to sit at the opposite end of the table of Joey. Maybe you sit at the kid's table. Maybe you help out in the kitchen. Maybe you don't go to Christmas, but then go to your grandmother's for Christmas Eve instead of Christmas Day. So you're not there at the same time toxic Joey is, but you still get to see your grandmother. Those are some options. It's not fair. It's not fair, right? And that's kind of the answer we start to look for. It's like, but it's not fair. I have to change my behavior. It's not fair. I have to adapt to this when, you know, I'm not the problem. And I say, no, it's not. Yeah. And you can keep on plowing if you want to, or you can figure out something else to do. Those are the two choices. Do the same thing or do something else. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the biggest pieces of thinking I change with my Wondrous Women program. It's one of the very first things we do because it's like, yes, it's not fair. And they bumped their head against that for so long. Yeah. And it's like, So it's not fair, but you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again, hoping to get different results. It's already been five years. So, you know, and you're miserable. So maybe try something else, try a different strategy. It's not fair. (laughs) It's not fair. Yeah. It can help staggering lunches and making sure you're not alone with them. That's great advice just for safety. Yeah, uh, documenting things, documenting conversations, copying people on emails, really, if you know you're going to be in a situation around them, creating your emotional cushion. Uh, You could listen to I Feel Good uh, by James Brown and list out things you're grateful for for two and a half minutes before a tough meeting with this person. So you're going in very high energy anyway. If you deal with a toxic person uh, and have a toxic person interaction, do something physical after that interaction to shake them off. Okay. You can actually shake your body. You can dust off your body. You can do 10 jumping jacks, but think about um, our ancestors. They're sitting around the campfire. A tiger comes, they run away from the tiger and stop. Okay. So in their body, danger, physical adrenaline exercise, stop. I'm safe. Okay. So with toxic Uncle Joey or toxic coworker or toxic whatever, typically we just walk back to our office or walk to the family kitchen. So there's not enough. So that adrenaline just keeps churning. It just keeps like circling and we're all worked up. But if you can do something physical to shake that off, dust yourself off, there some type of physical response to to tick um, into that emotional relief of like, okay, I'm safe now. It allows for that. I mean, from a, like a trauma perspective, again, it allows for that, like an SE, we'll call it a discharge where there is that, that shaking that you see in the wild and animals, like after they're running from the tiger or whatever, and the antelope gets away. And it's part of our body's like biomechanical mechanism for, for what you're describing for releasing that trauma from our bodies. And it's such a great point because like physiologically, that's what we want to do. So just giving ourselves the time to do it you know, Mm -hmm. to do a little shaking or to even just kind of be still for a second and see what actually, what happens without us prompting it. And then to do, you know, the movement, but to take a little bit of time to, Mm -hmm. again, let that move through us so that we're not, as you described, like holding onto it, churning the rest of the day, the all night, probably the next day, the next week. And then now we have a chronic stress problem and like 
Then well, we can deal with that. You have a chronic stress problem and you also get to the end of your rope. So remember that guy that I described earlier, who was like, okay, okay, okay. And yeah. there would be things and it would pile on and pile on and pile on. And then he snaps or then she snaps. And then the toxic person says, well, look, you're the crazy one. You're the one who just lost it in the meeting. Not me. Yeah. You're the problem. Not me. And I see it over and over again. So if there's not a way to discharge that and to get rid of that, you're going to be in real trouble long-term. Yeah. Yeah. So true. You really will. And again, the whole point of it being fair, I, I really like that because it is, it's like infuriating, you know, that it's not fair. But I think if, if we have, if we start from that level of acceptance, it allows for us to examine like our next move, you know, more clearly. Mm -hmm. And our, our mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers, and there were so many things that great generations did before us to get us where we are now. You know, we've come such a long way in healthcare, technology, socially. I mean, we've come a long way than we were a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. People used to like kill people in gladiator rings, like real people. We didn't have movies killing real people and beating them to lions. It's terrible. You know, we have come a long way, but this conversation's pretty new. It wasn't illegal to hit your wife until 1970. It's crazy. 70, you know, and I kind of joke about domestic violence awareness and I'm glad people are talking about it. I said, but it's, it's kind of funny. Cause it's like, oh, do we not know that we shouldn't hit the people we love? Like, yeah. Do we need an awareness campaign to, to talk about that? But it's really talking about it in stage four cancer. Okay. So if someone is in a domestic violence situation or a situation where a colleague, they're afraid of stalking or physical danger that is stage four okay and that's when police get involved in the stage four stages but if we only talked about cancer in stage four we would be completely losing the battle to cancer and right now we're losing the battle to toxic people because people only pretend it's real in the stage four. Oh, if you get punched in the face i'll stand up for you yeah but if someone cuts you down to size and it's death by a thousand cuts, I might say you're too sensitive. I don't want to get involved. Yeah. I feel like that's almost where it's almost more insidious in a way. I think that kind of verbal abuse or that cutting down or that undermining of, of your qualities and your confidence over years and years. Yeah. It, it is more insidious and not to say that physical violence is better because of course it isn't, but I think ways. And, and I, you know, you touched on this with the forest and the trees, but like, if we're curious, like, is this, I was in a relationship with a very sort of verbally abusive man years ago. And it was, I really understand how it's difficult to identify that you're in the relationship when you're in it, especially back then I didn't have kind of the wherewithal on the tools that I have now, but are there, is there anything else that like we should look for that someone should look for when stuff is more subtle or when it's in the early stages or we're not quite sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So being not quite sure is your answer. Mm, (laughs) You, when I met my husband now and people would say, I did an interview recently and they were talking about marriage being hard. And I was like, I mean, I guess it doesn't feel that hard. Like we're just kind of nice to each other. We've been together five years. We're just kind of nice. 
That's the no, it's- secret. That's what I always yeah. tell people about my partnership. I'm like, we really do things to try to make each other's lives easier, like on a daily basis, little things. Like you seem tired. I'll do the dishes tonight. Like, don't worry about it. Like it really builds a nice relationship. And it's so easy, right? Yeah. It really is easy. And, you know, I said, he's consistently kind to me. He's nice all the time. I never drive home wondering what mood he's going to be in. I never uh, change my behavior to accommodate his bad mood, right? So when I'm starting, like, oh, I better, I better not do this. I better not go here. I better, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to this. That confusion and uncertainty is the answer. Yeah, that's great. In a healthy relationship, you're pretty certain. You maybe you don't know how the net, you know, when I first got with my husband, I wouldn't say, oh, I know where we're going to be in 10 years. I didn't know we were going to get married because that would have been a little insane, you know, <laughs> day five. It's like, oh no, we're going to get married. You know, of course not. But I was certain in who I was. And I was certain that he was getting the real me. I wasn't constantly trying to change my behavior to be, to, to like pick up his unconscious signals of who I was supposed to be in that moment or how I was supposed to behave or what I was supposed to be doing, or what eggshells I was supposed to be walking on, or what conversations I needed to avoid, or what, you know, what buttons I needed to avoid pushing. It's all that uncertainty, like, oh, should I, should I, should I, should I? And that, that is, that is the red flag. And that's, that's the one red flag people don't want. Mm-hmm. They, where's my list? Check, check, check. And I said, okay, if we lined up a group of 13-year-old girls, and said, do you want someone who is jealous? Do you want someone who hides their phone? Do you want someone who makes you feel small? Do you want someone who calls you names? Do you want someone who's angry all the time? They would say no. But you ask 33-year-old girls, they're in those relationships with people doing the exact same thing. And they're like, do you think he's toxic? Hmm. 13-year-old girls would know the answer. You just don't like the answer. Yeah. And when we don't like the answer, we find our brains, everyone does it. And I bring back the example to Bill Cosby, right? We all thought Bill Cosby was like so amazing and so funny and so wonderful. And then we start to hear stories that he was like raping women. And you're like, whoa, is that, is that real? It's, oh, I know Bill Cosby. That's not real. That woman probably made that up. It's probably most of our first mm-hmm. inclinations. That was before Me Too. That was before Epstein. That was before a lot of people had come out in this. He was kind of one of the early people. And he was just so funny and nice. And, you know, he wouldn't do that. So our brain started to make excuses to say, no, this version of him that he wanted me to see is the true version of him. And this secret side of him can't be true. Okay. And I always bring up that example because we all got fooled. The whole world got fooled. And if we really want to get serious about this conversation, we have to recognize each and every one of us where we were fooled in our lives. And then we start to have a lot of kindness to people trying to get out of bad romances or bad business deals or bad family arrangements. Because it's like, yeah, I got fooled. You did too. Yeah, this is what our brains do to us. Here's how to get out versus, gosh, why would you put up with that? Mm -hmm. You don't know something? I would never put up with that. If somebody did that to me one time, his clothes would be out on the street. You know, I would have quit. I would have told that boss where to shove it, what, whatever it is. We always, whatever toxic relationship we were not part of, we have the most judgment about. 
Yeah, I think that's true with most things, right? You see it with addiction too. Like, oh, it's just willpower. You're why why can't you just stop? It's like, do you understand how addiction works? Have you read anything? Yeah. Clearly not. Yeah, it, it, very, very clear, very clear distinction. And probably like, oh, well, it's not that bad. I just have an alcohol addiction. Alcohol is legal. If you have a drug addiction, you're way worse than me. Yeah. Oh, I have a prescription drug addiction. It's not as bad as this, right? So we start to play that game with toxic people. There are tons of people who enable their adult children, toxic adult children. Not, I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm not, you know, like adult children. It's like, wow, why are you putting up with that from your children? Well, you know, I just need to be loyal. It's my kid. I don't want to give up on him. But it's like, yeah, but not give up on them. I'm not saying give up on your children, but they're 30 and they're mean to you and they're, and they're, they're sucking you dry and they're taking from you and they're creating a really toxic relationship and your health is on the decline. And it's like, well, and they may have kindness towards that situation, but then they may flip and point the finger at someone who puts up with bad behavior from a boss. Yeah. Or they may flip and put and talk about the neighbor who put up with that from their husband. And it's like, well, it's, you know, they, we make these emotional excuses, all of us, all of us, all of us miss the blind spots in our own lives and then start to point the fingers at other people's toxic situations. And gosh, if we could just change that in our culture and say, well, you put up with bad behavior here, I put up with bad behavior here. Let's not do that anymore. Yes. <laughs> I mean, so, it was so much easier. So much easier. So much easier. But, you know, it's easier. I, the worst thing in the world when people tell me, I hate this. People tell me this and I just want to like throw something across the room. It's like, you know, I'm really good at giving advice, but I don't take my own advice. Like that is my absolute biggest pet peeve. And it's like, oh, great. So you like to lie to people? <laughs> Sorry, that really seems funny when you look at it that way. It is. It's just like, it's my biggest pet peeve. And it's like, <laughs> you know, and Alice, I'm glad because this is, you know, we've had several interactions now. I hope I'm coming across as someone like in their integrity and this is just who I am. And so this is what I do. And I, I darn sure try, right? I'm not perfect, but I darn sure try because if I'm, you know, I talk to people and I said, okay, can you imagine my platform on this and my book on this, and my podcast? And then you come into my house and you walk in and you see my husband screaming at me and berating me or a friend screaming at me and berating me. Is that going to change your impression of me at all? And they were like, yeah, I said, it should. Yeah. It should, you know, and, but again, it's easier. It's easier to point fingers to other people than, than do that change in our own lives, but it's coming from a place of integrity. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think if we can continue to just let that fill up in us and to like build that, you know, every day, like, are we doing the right thing? Is it in our integrity? Are we taking time to even check in with what that is? I think that's a big piece of it too. Like really giving ourselves the time to to have a few moments of stillness, if that's what works or take a walk or, or whatever it is that helps you connect to you to just make that the, like one of your priorities coming in, coming in, coming more into who you actually are and taking your own advice. If it's good advice, or even if yeah. it's bad advice, try it out and see, and didn't know like, Oh, I'm not doing that again. That was not a good yeah, idea. But it's how we learn, right? And yeah. trial and error for many things. Yeah, for sure. So I have one more question for you. And then I'd love for you just to tell us where, you know, where we can find you and about your book, where we can find your book. And we'll put all those links in the show notes, of course. But I, for, for 
I'm going to use the term women just because I work with women, whatever. We're both Mm -hmm. women, really people though. Like if they, if they're finding themselves on the other side of a toxic relationship and they're looking back and, and realizing like, God, how, how, and why did I let myself put up with that for so long? And I think there can come with it, you know, some guilt and shame. I see this in the addiction world too, of like, why did I continue that behavior for so long? Any, any pieces of advice for, for people that are in that part of the process, just ways to continue to be kind to themselves and, and to really move forward? Absolutely. So in my book, I talk about something called smart girl syndrome. Okay. So you and I graduated high school, right? And so when we had calculus, probably when we started calculus, it was like, oh, you know, this is scary. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> Still <Right>? scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we did our homework. And we stayed after school for tutoring and we got extra help and we got our friend to help us and we worked and worked and worked. And eventually we passed calculus. Okay. Every single one of us, high performing women, and most women are high performing in some arena. You know, it it doesn't have to be, it can be whatever you want high performance to be, but, oh, I didn't know how to do something. I worked harder and I fixed it. Okay. I'm a classical piano player. Well, I started out playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, and now I can play Chopin Nocturnes. I had to work at it, and there was a payoff, okay? Every single one of us have, I couldn't run, and then I did. I couldn't do sales calls, and then I did. I couldn't do a business plan, but now I can. Those skills are great in every area except for toxic relationships. And remember I said in a toxic relationship, you do all the work of the relationship, but you did all the work of calculus. I did all the work of piano. You did all the work of your doctorate, right? So we take that same mindset, which is a fabulous mindset in nearly every area of life. I want my daughter to have that mindset. I want the people I hire to have that mindset. We need good people in the world trying to be self-responsible and get their shit together. Right? Like, yes. (laughs) But you apply that in a toxic relationship and the toxic person says, "Mm, you know, if you did better, if you were better, if you were more, if you were kinder, if you were less sensitive, if you had been five minutes earlier, if you hadn't gained five pounds, if you didn't talk to me that way, if you didn't whatever, then we'd be fine. So that person gets on the hamster wheel and works, 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 hoping for that A at the end of the semester or hoping for that gold star on the paper. And toxic people know it and they know what's happening and we don't. Yeah. Because it's worked and every, we've never met a problem we couldn't solve. Why can't we solve this either with enough work? And that is the most forgiving place that I can come from in recognizing how those strengths were used against us rather than it just being weaknesses. Yeah. Such a good point. That's really well, well And something I believe to be very, very true. And women go, oh, yeah. But that's mm-hmm. shockingly different than codependency. I'm yeah. not saying codependency isn't real, but often codependency shows up at kind of the end of the relationship. It wasn't how it started, right? So it started with like, okay, sure, I can work a little more on that. Sure, I can fix that. Sure, I can change that. Sure, I can adapt that. And then by the end, it's like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I need you because I don't know who I am. 
I think women, we really want to do, I mean, most of the women I know, like we are really passionate about self-discovery and self-development and improving ourselves. So we're like game, like, yeah, okay, let's, let's do all this. And then meanwhile, is the, if the other part is doing none of it, then. And if we, problem. and if we can't imagine, like I exercise. Okay. I've, I've always exercised. My parents exercise, my family exercises. So when people say like, I don't exercise at all, I'm like, huh? really like never like like never I'm not judging people who do an exercise I'm just saying that's been such a piece of my life I can't imagine not it's just my worldview like you you exercise sometimes you move your body that's just what people okay but if I'm thinking oh you tell the truth and do the right thing and you're kind that's just what people do I can't imagine that the person I'm, I am in love with or I'm working with or my family member isn't trying to do the same thing. That's like speaking a different language. It's like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why wouldn't you be nice? Why wouldn't you be kind? Why wouldn't you do the right thing? And you just miss it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think really understanding, I've been having this conversation with a family member recently of just understanding like this other person doesn't have the capacity to see things the way that you do. They never will. Mm-hmm. Like it's stop running your head against the wall because mm-hmm. it's just not going to change. Yeah. It's part of that. Not, it's not fair. So then, so then what, you know, then what for you? Um, and what can you control? What can you change? What can you put up with? What can, and what should you? Yeah. Right. Not only what can you put up with, but what should you? It's a really good distinction again. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really love the depth that you bring to this topic and it's just very real. And again, it's conversations that we we all should be having like before the stage four of the cancer, (laughs) like again, another great analogy. So tell us, I know you mentioned you have a a program and you have the book and then you, are you still doing one-on-one coaching or are you more just all group programs at this point? Okay. Well, it's a, it's a piece of that program. So everyone goes through the umbrella of the program, but people work with me privately or through group coaching or something in the middle within that structure. So just depending on what they need and, and where they are. As I do run the Wondrous Woman program, which helps people uh, reconnect with what's right with them, become toxic person proof and design lives they are excited about living. And I really am kind of the life after girl, right? There's so many people in this, should I stay or should I go conversation? And then they leave and it's like, mm-hmm. now what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, how do you take those strengths and apply them to life again? So that's what I'm really passionate about. And I have the podcast, Toxic Person Proof, and the book, becoming toxic person proof. So if you Google toxic person proof, I'm definitely what's going to come up. And definitely the book, the subtitle is clear the confusion and learn to trust yourself because that's really what I want is for the women I work with to become their own best problem solvers, to be very clear in like, this is what's right for me. This is what's wrong for me. This is what my next steps are, which seems funny because I think people assume I'm just like, talk about relationships all the time, but, or narcissism or personality disorders, but people have usually done a lot of that work by the time they come to me. And then it's like, okay, so is your new hobby studying personality disorders for the rest of your life? Or, mm-hmm. you know, would you like to start a new career or fall in love again, or, you know, go after a dream. And it's like, oh no, I'd like to go after a dream. It's like, let's do that then. Cause we can get really stuck. And sometimes if a toxic relationship is all about the other person, we can, unconsciously develop healing strategies that are still all about the other person. Yeah. What do you think happened to them in their childhood? What do you think? Why do you think they're like that? 
Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think they're thinking right now? You know, yeah. and uh, it, you can see it again. It's kind of one of those things. It's like, oh yeah, that is happening, isn't it? You know, <laughs> and and really giving you your life back and that trust in yourself and that confidence back. Yeah, I love it, and I feel like our our work is so parallel in that regard too. Just because a lot of the the women I work with with addiction, I'm like, we don't have to talk about recovery all the time. Like, what do you want for your life? You know, what's next? Right. What's where is that passion? What are your goals? And yeah, I love that bit that you just said too. Where we're are we thinking about the thing? Are we thinking about the person? Or are we really exploring? You know, what's going to fill us up and where we can go? So such a great it's such great work you're doing, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. It's a pleasure to see you again. And oh, so all Sarah's links will be in the show notes for everyone. Please check out her podcast. It's wonderful. And I'm sure her book is just as wonderful too. And thank you again. Thanks. Bye.